All right, good morning, everybody. So I got to ask you guys a question this morning. What happens when you look at your life and you realize that you don't like where things are going? Or what happens when you look at your life and you don't like what you're doing? Do you give up? Do you look down on yourself? Do you say, look what I've done, I'm no good. Look where I'm at, how did I get here? Do you let your bad choices define who you are today? Your choices, I want to set some of you free right away this morning. The choices you've made in your past do not determine the destiny God has written for you. We need to let go of our past, trust God with the present and the future. The God we serve is so awesome because he is in our past, he is in our present, and he's already in our future waiting for us. So why should we let us and our bad decisions and the things that we think aren't right about us define who God says we are? The good news today is that God is the potter and we are the clay. We are clay in his hands. We're moldable in his hands when we surrender. And if, we don't like your, if you don't like yourself this morning, God can remake you. Your story isn't finished yet. As long as there's breath in your lungs, your story is still being written by God if you give up the pen. as God, Because when we let God be the potter, he can make you into that masterpiece that he talks about in the Bible, where he calls you his masterpiece. Now, me this morning, I don't know about you, when I woke up, I looked more like a Van Gogh masterpiece. Hair all over the place, lines on my face, it was just ugly. But I looked in the mirror and I said, guess what, I'm God's. I'm not perfect, but he loves me the way I am. And this morning, I want you to know that God loves you right where you're at today. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Some of you might be thinking at this point in your life, you should be at a certain place. I should have accomplished this in my life. I should have this by now in my life. I should be doing this with my life now. Some of you this morning are looking ahead and, and dreaming ahead and saying, okay, I'll, if, I, if I do this, 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 and this, and I'm going to be able to accomplish this, 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 and this. Well, we're going to read a scripture verse that warns us on that thought process later. The Bible talks about the, plan, the plans of men are many, but God directs the steps. In this message series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to sacrifice who we think we are and become who God says we are as a body, as a church, as individuals. Because even as a church, we don't get to define what our church is going to be like, or we shouldn't. Control step number one for me is this isn't my church, it's his. I'm his. And when I, when I started, and that's why I said this, this for me, still today, I've given up a lot of control. I haven't given up enough, apparently, as I, read the, as I wrote this message and, and studied on this message and, and read the word. And like I said, last week we decided to lay down our feelings of inadequacies, and I really hope you guys did lay those down and you didn't pick them back up again. I, the purpose of laying them down on an altar and calling it altar ego 
is when, when a sacrifice is given to God on his altar, it's consumed, no longer to be taken back. They couldn't take the bull off the, off the altar once it was on there. It was sacrificed to God. And it said it was a pleasing aroma to him. And when we can sacrifice our feelings of inadequacy, our ego to God, it's a pleasing sacrifice to God because what does God call us to do? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me daily. You don't get to decide what that looks like. I've already decided that for you, and trust me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he said. And so we struggle wanting to give it up because we don't know what's going to happen. But God's saying, if you give it up, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. It's going to be easier than what you're already doing. I didn't say simple. I said easy. Next week, I think it's going to be a nice freedom setter for some people. We're going to talk about my right to be offended. And how in today's culture, everybody is offended by everything. But Jesus said, and I heard a Rod Lawyer speaker say one time in a leadership thing I was watching with him, he said, the minute you've decided to become a follower of Jesus, you gave up your right to be offended by anything. We're called to serve, not to be served. We're called to love, not necessarily be loved. We're called to proclaim truth. And the sad part with truth is it sometimes is offensive. Like Brad Stein says, a Christian comedian, that's how, no, how you know you ain't got it if the truth offends you. And so we're going to lay a lot of this stuff down. The last week is just basically, I think, a lot of people today, because of social media, and I've talked about it many times, is that we're going to lay down our longing for the approval of others. We're going to lay down living for others. We're going to live for one. We're going to live for that one. So let's go ahead and dive in this morning to what we're going to go through. I, I pulled another verse. Like last week, I pulled a, a story of David and be, not being in the lineup. This morning's story that we're going to start with is found in Jeremiah 18. And it's verses 2 through 6. And Jeremiah is getting, getting a vision from God. He's spending time talking to God. And it says, starting in verse 2, Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel, but the jar he was making did not turn out to be as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands. So in that picture we see a picture of what we're talking about this morning, of control. The clay did not have control over what the potter was going to make with it. The clay stayed pliable. It stayed moldable in the potter's hand. And when there was a mistake, he flattened it out and started over again. How many of you guys ever watched people making clay pots and stuff on a wheel? We saw a dude once over in St. Joe where he had old school. didn't even have the motorized one. He had to spin the wheel while he was making it. And what would happen if his finger dug in a little far? Dip his hand in some water, rub it around the outside, flatten it back up, and start over again. So this morning, understand, you being moldable in God's hands is his chance to start over with you. He's not finished. Watched a movie yesterday, and I don't know if you guys have ever watched it, City Slickers. 
<laughs> I know it's not y'all favorites movie, but I like some of those movies. And he talks about how this one dude is getting divorced, losing his kids, doing all this other stuff, and he came up with a saying that fits today. Your life is a do-over. Understand, we don't serve a God of second chances. We serve a God of new beginnings. Jesus said the old has passed away, all things become new. And so the mistakes you've made in your past are just that. They're mistakes you made in your past. They're not who you are today. Don't own your mistakes. But too often when we go through this and we start owning our mistakes, we start becoming control freaks. We start wanting to control things we have no reason and no right to try to control. How many of you guys at work are laid back, but when you come home, you are like the kitchen Nazi? If anything is out of place in the kitchen, you just go nuts. How many of you guys might be laid back at home, but when you're at work, you try to control your coworkers and tell them what they need to do and how they should be doing it? And if they don't do it the way you're doing it, they're doing it wrong, so they should do it that way. There's two major areas in our lives that we try to control. First one is we try to control people. And what I mean by that is you like someone and you love them. Just about everything about them is awesome except for one or two things. And what is it that you focus on? Those one or two things you don't like and you try to manipulate them to act the way you think they should act. That was a smack upside my head when I was thinking about that. That's control. Because I think I know better. Did Jesus say to know better or did he say to follow him? Now, we should give wise counsel. We should do that stuff. And you'll find later on in scripture, there's a, or later on in scripture and in our, in our message, there are ways we can help people. But it should be to the point of helping them, not trying to control and manipulate who we think they should be. Because God created all of you unique for a purpose. None of us are the same. Sean and I have talked about it many times just in styles of worship. How we are totally different, but we complement each other. That's what God's called us to do is complement each other's strengths, not try to control them. The second thing we try to control is circumstances. We do this because we really believe that we know what's best. We really want to control our schedules. We want to control our future. We want to control how the house looks when people come over. We want to control how other people see us. And so we try to control circumstances around us, putting on a facade and a mask around people because we want them to see us a certain way. So we try to control that circumstance around us. Darlene Check once made a statement in a book I read. She had built up walls because she thought she was protecting herself from getting hurt. And she found over time the only thing that was going on is those walls were stopping her from getting out. When we put walls up to protect who we think is ourselves, we're really stopping who God's called us to be. And as painful as it can be sometimes, we have to be willing to get hurt to truly love people. And so we have to give up control of what people think. Ken Blanchard said it this way. 
Ken Blanchard said that ego stands for edging God out. I know what's right, so I'm going to force it to happen that way, and we edge God out. Our egos tell us we should be able to do this. I want to take a quick look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 this morning. You guys will all know it when I start reading it, so you ain't got to look it up. And I'm going to read a different version that you guys might not have in your Bible. So just bear with me while I read this version. It says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge him and you will make your path straight. That's the control freak version. We'll give some things to God, but some things we'll hang on to. We'll acknowledge God in some things, but in other things we're going to control the outcome. And that's what the control freak version of the Bible tells you. Now we know in the Bible it says, trust in the Lord with what? All of your heart. It says lean not on what? Your own understanding. It says in all your ways acknowledge him. And then what does it say? He will make your path straight. He will make your crooked straight. But we have to give up control for that to happen. We have to trust God and trust that he knows what he's doing. And what's really interesting about control, it took me a lot of pain and a lot of time to learn this initially, is the more that we try to control something, the more out of control it gets. You ever notice when you go to work and you try to control how you think coworkers should work and you end up your eight-hour shift frustrated as heck? Because you were trying to control a situation that wasn't yours to control. You ever notice how in a marriage, when you try to control your spouse, that never goes well? How about when you try to control your kids? What do kids do? Okay, maybe it's just me that did it. You told me I couldn't do something, I was going to do it. When we try to over-control our children, what do they do? They fight against everything we're trying to tell them is right because all they feel is somebody trying to tell them what to do, not love them. Control causes a lot of issues. And too often, we don't think we're trying to control a situation because too often, it's hard to see control in the mirror. It's hard to see your own need for control because you legitimately think you're doing the right thing. In your mind, it's right, so it's got to be right. In my mind, it's right. And so what am I doing? I'm edging God out, and I'm taking control. You can read a story in the Bible. Abram and Sarah, before, early in their lives, before their names got changed, Sarah did, or Abraham did something that wasn't real wise. Okay? Now, dude's trust in God, left his homeland, traveling around with his wife. Apparently, his wife is a very good looking woman. Okay? That's what the Bible says. So it's okay. We're in church. I know you don't have to freak out because I'm talking about good looking women. 
What if Abraham comes into Egypt, and rather than trusting God with this, what does he do? He takes control of the situation and says, what about his wife? She's his sister, because they might do something inappropriate to her. Abraham took control of a situation he had no right to take control of, and it ended up badly. But the biggest example is if you turn in your Bible to Genesis 16, where Abram and Sarah tried to take control again. God just gets through telling them, I'm going to bless you with a son. Your descendants are going to be more than the sands on the seashore, more than the stars in the heaven. You're going to have a truckload of descendants. But God didn't show up in their time. God didn't show up when they wanted him to. God, they stepped out of God's destiny to control the situation that they had no right to control over because they didn't trust the promise of God. But then they think, in Genesis 16, verses 1, it starts off and says, Now Sarah, said, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. Okay, right there, that is a bad idea. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just a little weird, but my wife tells me to go into her maidservant, give her children. I just know from my life at this point, that's a bad choice. So that's a little marriage advice for you guys. If your wife ever tells you to do that, don't do it. It's going to end bad. And also, wives, don't get no maidservants. Okay. <laughs> and go back to the Garden of Eden again. Here you got Adam and Eve, and they're, they're screwing up because they're listening to each other. Now Abram listens to his wife. Apparently, dude really loved her. Um, and after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived... And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So step one, stay away from any women named Hagar. Okay, if you're a guy. They truly believed that maybe this was God's plan. Maybe this is what God meant. Now what happened when they stepped out of that and controlled the situation? Things went completely out of control. Because when they edged God out, it's impossible to describe all the chaos that's been happening ever since. What taking control did, not just in their lives, but for the centuries to come, because they edged God out and took their plan under what they thought was good. In fact, if you read on in the story, Hagar gave birth to a son named Ishmael. And sometime later, God did bless Abram and Sarah and with a son named Isaac. And there was more tension than you can imagine between Hagar and, Sarah, Hagar and Sarah. Why? Because she said, send her away now. I can't have this, this around here. So Abram does it again and listens to his wife and sends her away. Now God did meet them, bless them, said you'll, be the, you know, you'll lead many nations. But the chaos it's called. And that's been lived ever since Ishmael and Isaac were born. You think your sibling rivalries are bad. 
Ishmael descendants are Palestine, Palestinians. They've been fighting since that day with Israel. The chaos it has caused because they stepped out of God's plan and took control. Christians, we look as, as, at ourselves as descendants of Abraham from Isaac. Muslims are descendants of Ishmael through Muhammad. How's that working out? It's created chaos because they wanted control. Now the control you guys might be dealing with may not be the same earth-shattering control, but it will send ripples of discourse in your life as you try to control situations and edge God out and not listen to his plan. So you got the Jews and the Palestinians fighting because they edged God out. Entire wars have been fought because of this. Countries have been destroyed because of this. You have no idea what the decision you make today may affect generations down the road because you wanted control. So we can see by reading the story of Abraham and Sarah what can happen when we try to take control. Some of you guys probably didn't like that story. Some of you guys are justifying right now, well, I don't control that bad. I don't do that. But here's the big application question for you today. What are you trying to control? What in your life are you trying to control? Is it people? You know, your grown, grown children who you think should be making different choices, so you think you should tell them what to do? Is it your coworkers? Is it your spouse? You think they should do this, this, and this, and so you tell them they should do this, this, and this. Why? Because you know they should do this, this, and this. Are you trying to control people? Or are you trying to control circumstances? Are you trying to control how other people see you? Are you trying to control what's going on around you? Or if you really feel like it and you don't think this message applies to you at all and you don't want to think of it and you think it's a stupid exercise, sit back and relax and prove my point that you want control. Too often we control, try to control things and don't think we are. And the sad part is, is we do. But as we go forward with this, and as, as, as I want to give you three questions to ask in every situation. Three questions as you're looking at these things to lay down and try to control. Because God says, my peace is peace that surpasses all understanding. How can we receive that peace if we're trying to hold on to something that we shouldn't hold on to? If we're trying to control a situation we shouldn't control? I believe these questions can help you learn how to lay down what you're trying to control and trust it to God. Because ultimately, he's the one in control anyways, we're not. So the first question is this, is it my concern? Is it worth my concern? Does it matter? How many guys freak out if you got dirty dishes in the sink and somebody's coming over? Somebody going to die if they don't get done? How many of you guys get upset when that happens? There's a story in the Bible of Mary and Martha. You've all studied it. 
Sure, woman, you've done it in women's studies. We've studied it. Church has studied it for years. But it really came down to the fact Martha just wanted everything perfect. She was freaking out. The Son of God was coming over. I like the statement that Bill Johnson made. Martha was busy making sandwiches Jesus never ordered. She's freaking out, isn't she? When you read the story, it says she's freaking out. She's running all over the place. Mary is just hanging out at Jesus' feet. Now, this is not a license to be lazy. This is not a license to say, well, see, we're just supposed to hang out with Jesus all day and sit, sit there and do nothing. No, that's not what it said. In verse 10, or verse 41 and 42, Jesus replies and says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. He's basically saying this isn't worth getting upset about. Is all this stuff really worth it? Is having all the towels folded just right worth it? There's a certain way you should fold towels. If you need to know, I will teach you after service. (laughs) When people come in here Sunday morning, do you get frustrated? And this is what I love about the group of guys we have. We're in here setting up having fun. Very rarely do we get frustrated. But when we do get frustrated, we need to start going back to this question, is it really worth my concern? Is it going to distract people from Jesus? Because if it's not, then is it worth getting upset about? Sometimes the problem is, is we see and we miss the blessing in disguise. What I mean by that is, do you guys realize, you guys with kids that are still at home, A messy house is a blessing because you have kids who are there playing. For some of you kids, your your parent are you parents that have kids that go outside and play on your yard, and your yard is not that pristine, perfect yard. That's a blessing because you have kids who will invite their friends over to play on your yard and kill your grass. We miss the blessing of what we have because we're focused on what doesn't matter. Christy and I recently have gone from a house to an apartment. It really doesn't matter because it's a place for people to come together and get together and gather. Actually, we hung up a new sign the other day. Gather together. It's a blessing in disguise. When we're honest with ourselves, we need to ask the question, is it more important what other people think, what other people see, and what other people are like, or what God says. So is it worth your concern? The second one is, is it mine to control? (laughs) Surrendering control is not the same thing as relinquishing responsibilities. What I mean by that, if you have problems with money, you can learn to budget. You can learn to be a good steward. You can learn from a mentor on how to take care of money. You should do it together. If your marriage is messed up, it's not your spouse's fault. But you can do something about it, can't you? You can pray together. 
You can initiate counseling together. You can initiate reading the Bible together. You can initiate date nights. So I don't mean you have no responsibility. I mean you have no right to control it. You have no right to decide what it should look like. James 4, 13 through 15 pretty much gives a really good warning on that. It says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow you are going to a certain town and will stay there for a year. We will do business there and we will make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this and that. Now, I love the thought process of five-year plans. I truly do because you should plan. But we should not be so focused on that plan that we miss what's happening today. And who can I become today? So we've gone through, is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? And if I can do something, I'm going to. The last question, or is it for God alone? Paul in Philippians says something that's really powerful to this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So when we give it to God, the peace of God will guard your heart. It will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. In other words, when you try to control situations you have no right to control, you live in fear and anxiety because you don't have control of them. And so you grip them tighter to try to control them more. To finish off this morning, I want to ask just a couple of questions. You guys can be honest. First question is, for you that are married, can you change your spouse? (laughs) It's not a trick question. Don't nudge him either if you're sitting next to him. What can you do for your spouse? You can serve them. You can love them. You can pray for your spouse. You can encourage your spouse. And most of all, you can trust them to God. How about this question? How many of you can control your future? How many of you can control the future of your children? How many of you can control the future of anyone you love? What can you do for them? You can serve them. You can love them. You can pray for them. You can give them wise counsel. And most of all, you can trust them to God. I want you to think for a moment about Abraham. What did Abraham want more than anything else? A son. What did God ask him to sacrifice? His son. What did Abraham do at this point? He was willing to sacrifice what he loved most to honor God. 
In Genesis 20, verse 13 to 22, it says, Abram went over and took the ram after he had went to go offer Isaac as a sacrifice. He got the knife up. Now, I'm sorry, I, some of this story just doesn't make sense to me. I'm not going to lie to you. Kid's got to be 12, 13 years old. Abraham, we know, is over 100. So dude wasn't built. He probably wasn't going to wrestle him to the ground. But something caused Isaac to do what his father told him to do and lay on an altar and watch a knife go up. And when God saw that he placed nothing else above him, God showed up in a moment and provided the sacrifice. And what that means is when we're willing to give up control of what we think we want most to trust God with what is best, he will show up and be the Jehovah Jireh that we read about in the Bible, which is God, my provider. The Lord is my provider. That's what it said. And so Abraham, it said, Abraham went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called that place, the Lord will provide. When you're willing to fully surrender control to what you want most, God's miraculous provision will show up. I came to tell some of you this morning, as I wrap this up, you're trying to control something that is not yours to control. Whether it's kids, whether it's finances, whether it's your job, whether it's your home, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's whatever you can try to think of, whether it's you think how coffee should be made, whether you think it's how the house should be cleaned. The things you are worried about are nothing that matters when compared to the love that we have in Christ Jesus. And if we are not showing that love, it means we're trying to control it because we're anxious and live in fear. And God says in his word, perfect love casts out all fear. And so if you're fearful in a situation, ask yourself those questions. Is it mine to control? Is it worth my concern or is it for God alone? And if it's for God alone, then yes, pray about it. Trust God with it, but give it to him. Quit trying to change people around you. Love them with the love of Christ. Why? I asked to step away from that. Why do you think people look at church as being judgmental? It's a control issue. Because we think we know how they should look, how they should act, how they should dress, the type of music they should listen to, and what they should do in their free time. We want to control what they do because we know what's best. We don't trust them with the God we say we serve. Are we going to start trusting our God? As we sang this morning, Jesus will leave the 99 for the one. Can I leave the 99 control issues for the one? And his name is Jesus.